at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we are officially going to the Camping Bowl week. The Camping World Bowl, indeed. Camping World Bowl, sorry. <laughs> the Camping Bowl, which is different from the Camping World Bowl. Uh, the Camping Bowl, you just sit outside in a tent. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I think West Virginia would probably beat us in that. Not that there aren't, you know, uh, enough campers upstate, but... West Virginia is much better at actual camping, one would assume. Um, West Virginia, obviously, a very familiar opponent for Syracuse. We've won 33 of 60 matchups all time, including the last three. Um, you might recall Chandler Jones kind of ending Geno Smith's will to live on numerous occasions in college. We did not uh, contend the Schwarzwalder Trophy the last time around in the 2012 Pinstripe Bowl. Unfortunately, that will be the case once again here. Um, John Wildhack said it wouldn't happen. I feel like the Camping World Bowl people are also kind of part of that, even if it has been publicly uh, made to be the case, since it seems just they don't want anything else overshadowing it. And, and from a brand perspective, I get it. Uh, from a what college football is actually about perspective, considering how little we have in terms of like football rivalries. We only have one official trophy game, um, the other one being the Orange Eagle Trophy, which is lying somewhere in a closet in Chicago at Sean's house. Um, I, I, I think that it, it does us a disservice, and West Virginia too, to be honest, um, to, to just leave the, uh, leave the trophy at home for this one. Yeah, like, I, I get the argument, like, I get the, the where the argument comes from. I just don't necessarily think it would actually overshadow, like, A, who, like, I couldn't tell you what the Camping World Bowl trophy looks like off the top of my head. I couldn't tell you what any specific bowl trophy, aside from the Orange Bowl, I think, does the Idaho Potato Bowl have a bowl of potatoes? I assume uh, it does. Probably. <laughs> it should if it doesn't. But, like, bowl trophies are not a huge thing. Cultural rivalry trophies are a huge thing. Obviously, the Schwarzwalder Trophy isn't the biggest one of them, but it is a one that we, you know, we know the deal with it. We know it's a... It has a game. reason for it. It's not It's not like Clemson and BC's stupid rivalry trophy. Or, or half of the Big Ten trophies. <laughs> not that I don't enjoy the... We stuck a bunch of stuff on some wood trophy between Penn State and Michigan State. Yeah, no, it's a trophy with, like, meaning behind it and some history and, like, some recent history, some big games. Um, obviously, we've won, what, two or three in a row now in that series. So, three in a row. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wish they would be contesting it. And I'm, I'm saying this, like, fully realizing there's a chance that they go out and beat us. I still think that's what, what college rivalries are all about, even even ones that are that are dormant and even ones that aren't, like, you know, the first rivalry you think of, even if when you think of the old Big East. So, I wish they were putting it on up for, up for grabs, but obviously it didn't happen last time. I didn't really expect it to happen this time. So hopefully in the future we'll have a reason to put the Schwarzwalder on the line. I would agree. Although you look at West Virginia's schedule, and I mentioned this in the article about the trophy today, uh, Monday for those listening, um, it gets kind of tough. Uh, West Virginia usually faces Marshall in non-conference play. Uh, they would probably rather face Pitt or Virginia Tech or potentially Penn State or Maryland instead of us. 
Um, and then you're not going to want to stack your entire uh, non-conference schedule, so you'll probably play an FCS team with that last slot. So it doesn't leave a lot of room for Syracuse and West Virginia to play in um, non-conference. Personally, I'd rather face them every year in non-conference play. Um, I know that's impossible, but it's more of a, a pipe dream. I know that's kind of spits in the face of the don't schedule tough uh, mantra, but I also think there is some value to playing rivals. Uh, and the one like near-term rival that we don't play on a regular basis at this point uh, would be West Virginia. I'm not counting Penn State because it really wasn't the rivalry, at least in at the later stages. Uh, Once they joined the Big Ten, it stopped being like an annual thing. And even at the end of the 80s, like aside from 87 and, and, and Syracuse's you know, big jump up into kind of like the top three, four range there after going unbeaten, like – Penn State pretty much dominated us for, for much of the 80s, too. So um, I, I wouldn't necessarily put that rivalry uh, at all on the same level as, uh, as, as some of these other ones, especially, you know, given the last three decades. Yeah, and West Virginia, looking at their future schedules now, um, the earliest we could probably get them was 20, is 2026. Uh, and, like, they actually, they really load up, especially considering the nine-game Big 12 schedule. Because next year they have Mizzou and, G- and NC State. The year after, they have FSU and Maryland. They have Maryland and Vatech. They have Pitt Vatech in 2022, Penn State Pitt in 23, Penn State Pitt in 24, and they have Pitt and ECU 25-26, uh, respectively. So uh, the first time they don't have two Power 5 opponents is 2026. So they're really going for it with these schedules, which, I, uh, you know, obviously it's not what I hope we do. Uh, West Virginia's in a little bit of a different spot in terms of where their program has been. Um, if you could guarantee that we're winning nine games in the ACC on a regular basis, maybe I become a little more open to scheduling like West Virginia has been, because then you're like you have higher goals than just getting to bowls. Right. Um, but that being said, it makes it very unlikely that we see them before you know in any time soon. And 2026, like I don't think we have anything set for them yet. But that would be like the first time we could play them in non-conference, I think. Yeah, and maybe it happens for all we know. Or maybe maybe there are seismic changes in college football that blow this entire. Oh, we have Notre Dame that year, so maybe not. Although we decided to stack Notre Dame and Purdue on one another. That's true. For, for some reason. Um, speaking of West Virginia and just West Virginia fans, Ears fans are not happy about this matchup. Um, I know a bunch of them think that they deserve something better. I don't really see how or why. Based on where they finished, based on how they closed out the season, kind of in lesser form than how they looked at the start, it was pretty much between the Alamo Bowl and this game. Um, and either you were going to face Washington State or you were going to face us. Um, I don't necessarily think there's much of a, a huge difference between, you know, the seasons that Washington State and, and Syracuse respectively had. Um, Washington State obviously looked very good for much of it. They had one loss going into championship weekend. Um, well, not championship weekend, rivalry weekend. Um, lost to Washington in a snowstorm. And so they didn't get to play for the Pac-12 title and didn't win the Pac-12 title. Um, so us and Washington State are... They are on fairly even ground. They finished, you know, several spots ahead of us in the polls, but we were still in the same general range. I'm a West Virginia fan. I don't know why I'm that broken up about um, playing in this game versus the Alamo Bowl, and especially if if you have a chance to, to face a, a rival and, and a regional foe and a, and a recruiting um, rival that still for, for fans over a certain age, that age being probably like 27, um, still has plenty of value for yeah, I guess like West Virginia feels about getting passed up for the Alamo Bowl kind of like we feel about how we would have or how we would have felt if NC State had been 
been passed up or had passed us up for this bowl right. because they had the head-to-head win over Texas. Um, they had, what, they finished with the same number? No, they were one win behind Texas, but also one loss. So, like, they were in the same range. We're, you know, we NC State didn't finish the season ranked, even with that ninth win. Uh, we beat them head-to-head. It's, like, kind of a similar thing. Um, Texas has a few more things going for it in that head-to-head rivalry, especially the fact that they're a much bigger brand than West Virginia, no offense to the Nears, um, than we are to, than NC State is to us. And we had a, you know, a pretty definitive head-to-head win and the same amount of wins and a higher ranking. Um, so I get it from that perspective, but as a whole, like, West Virginia... Um, like, this isn't too, like, they're not too good for this bowl. This no. bowl has, like, a pretty good history. This is the former Champ Sports Bowl. It's the former uh, Russell Athletic Bowl, for those who don't know what the deal is with, you know, have all these changing sponsorships. Um, the best argument, I think, is that West Virginia has played in this bowl, like, a decent amount. They've played four times. They've, they've lost it four times, uh, which I looked into today. <laughs> um, but, like, it's not like they're there every year. Um, it's a Florida trip. It's probably good for recruiting. Um, for them, it's probably great for recruiting because they yeah, don't play in Florida. Animal. Yeah, they're recruiting Florida much more than Texas, as far as I can remember. Um, and then I don't think they've ever played the Alamo Bowl, which is like a thing. They have not played the Alamo Bowl. So I get that. I get like, oh, it would have been cool, but it's not some giant disrespect. Like, no, not at all. And it would have been like some giant disrespect if we had gone to Pinstripe. It's just a bad, you know, shook out poorly for us if that had been the case. And, it, and we ended up, you know, lucking out. And it kind of seems like, based on everything, it kind of feels like the uh, the Alamo Bowl did us a favor, uh, or did the Tampa World Bowl a favor. I don't really know how they came to choosing Iowa State first, but I'm not going to complain about it. I think this is a much more attractive matchup for us. Um, I don't love that West Virginia is acting like they're like some, you know, giant program that is that is now slumming it by playing a nine-win Syracuse team when Syracuse was very much its equal in the end of the Big East. And They did uh, this you know, since 2012, too. Did they? I don't remember. Well yeah, enough. They, they, they did this in 2012 too, when they started like five or six and zero, and then they finished seven and five because Geno Smith that, wasn't as good as they thought. That one also I get like at least a little bit because they had just left our conference, right. so it's like okay, this is like a kind of a. It's not not that we're a boring opponent, but like this is we play this, we just played this team every year, so I get that we haven't played Western New since then, so it's been a while. And like when you're in bowl games every year, you see. I mean, as we know with Kansas State and, and company. You know, you play, end up playing, like, the same group of bowl teams, assuming that you don't fluctuate, A, you don't change conferences, and B, you don't fluctuate, um, like, you're standing in the world a lot. Right. Uh, you end up playing with the same group of teams. Like, how many times have we seen Michigan and Florida play? All the time. They play so many bowl games. Um, Pitt played in the Birmingham Bowl three times in a row. Uh, <laughs> so, like, you get stuck in these, like, if you're in the same types of bowls, you're going to be in the same rotation, and you're going to be seeing similar opponents. Um, it just is what it is. This is the second time we played West Virginia in a bowl game. I don't think it's that crazy. So... Yeah, their response has been a little strange. It's been, like, so, like so overwhelmingly annoyed. It's strange. I, I get, like, some initial annoyance, and then you're like, okay, well, it's just excited for this. But there's that. There's, like, Will Rear maybe not playing, which takes a little bit of the shine off the game. But overall, like, I'm not that concerned about West Virginia fans being, you know, bummed about it because I, you know, if there's a, an enthusiasm gap and they want to go and lose this game by 20 points again, then I'm fine with that. Yeah, same. Um, I, I, if, if Greer, I mean, I at this point, I don't really care if Greer plays. I don't really like. I want it to be a good game, but I'd also much rather Syracuse just lays waste to West Virginia's terrible defense and went to tenth game. Gets to put that on the mantle. Gets to take a Champion World Bowl trophy home. Gets to. I mean, Dino Babers said it yesterday during the uh, press conference, kind of little media remarks, whatever they were. Um, 
you know, about being selected for the game and talking about how Syracuse, you know, has elevated its standing with, with current recruits and, and future recruits and really gotten itself involved in greater conversations. You've seen, you know, as November hit, that SU really turned the corner on a bunch of top guys and could end up getting a couple more uh, to sign on for 2019. Like, th- this is very much like a, a huge game for Syracuse, and, and, and a close loss isn't going to hurt us. Um, a close win won't either. Um, if we completely blow out West Virginia, it doesn't matter who's under center. That's going to really speak volumes for the program, and it's going to make sure that you know th- this is not just some flash in the pan. Um, that this is at least a two-year run uh, for the Orange being you know hyper relevant. I know last year we talked about. I mean, last uh, week we talked about uh, the 2019 schedule and how manageable it is, and I still think that would be true no matter what. But you know, this kind of puts others on notice that. You know, the Orange are probably going to be ranked in the top 25 going into next year. They're going to have some hype and conversation around them, and it should be a bit of a turning point for the program. Yeah, like, to, to not get, like, too ridiculous, like, we've talked about 2019 a bunch, especially since we, like, it became very obvious we were going to be pretty good this year, like, midway through the season. But 2019, like, Liberty, um, they'll have a new coach. Hopefully it's not our Bryles, but Oof. I don't put anything past that school. Uh go back to the episode when we scheduled them we were not thrilled not because it's not like it makes sense based on like level of opponent it it's such a disgusting school like honestly everything they've done with their football program is gross um maryland if you know if that's a that's a perfectly logical uh non-conference power five to play and we get, we're on the road there but they'll be breaking in a new coach possibly mike loxley who it sounds like is the favorite and was also a horrendous horrendous coach at new mexico um but recruits really well, but that won't really take effect until, you know, a year or two down the line. Um, maybe it'll be Matt Canada, who did a nice job there, all things considered, this year. Uh, Western Michigan, we could bring back. We handled them this year. I think it'll be fine at the Dome. Holy Cross, obviously, FCS. And then ACC, we're at Duke, which should be winnable. Like, Duke's usually pretty good, but that's not a huge home field. Uh, we're at Florida State, which I think will still be kind of finding itself. At Louisville, which will be having a new coach. At NC State, which is probably the hardest of those four on paper right now. Um, not counting out the the Florida State talent gap. Um, and NC State will have a new quarterback. So the, none of those games are, are, like, outright losable. And then you have BC, who uh, will look probably like BC always does. And then Pitt, Wake Forest, both beatable opponents. And then Clemson at the Dome, which we, we won there last year. We played them tough this year. So, like, obviously I don't expect this team to go undefeated or anything. But, like, if, if we take the next step forward and DeVito plays like we saw in spurts and we expect him to develop, uh, and the defense keeps on taking a step forward, like, you could reasonably look at this team and say, hey, this should be another 9-10 win team. Maybe you sneak an Orange Bowl if Clemson goes to the playoff again or something. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the big frustration for some Syracuse fans. This year, I totally get it. But, you know, it, it happens. Just the, 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 the way that everything's shaken out um, is that Syracuse was, was going, or any ACC team, was going to struggle to get into that top 12, to get into one of those big games without being in the top 12, slash it was going to be absolutely impossible. It's not that we timed things poorly, it's just that things shook out poorly. Still, Camp World Bowl's great. Um, it's one of the better non, you know, like New Year's Six games. Uh, there's a lot to like about the matchup. There's a lot to like about having a big stage on a Friday Um you know, on ESPN, I, again, I, I, I'm not going to complain about the situation uh, and, you know, based on, you know, what would have happened if we were in a different year. Like if we're, if we're really that good and this is really going to be some kind of like lasting impact for the program, let's do something similar next year. Um, Clemson's probably going to be a playoff team again. 
Uh, Notre Dame could be could very well be uh, as well. That puts us in, in prime position to be, you know, a potential Orange Bowl squad. And really, like, if we'd just taken care of business against Clemson or Pitt um, this year, like, we would have been in the Orange Bowl anyway. So, like, th- we're, we're not that far off. I know it's frustrating, but th- this is th- this is fine. And, and and winning against West Virginia will be even more fun, hopefully. Again, it's hard to complain. We won nine games. We're going to a very nice bowl. Um, again, this is the Russell Athletic Bowl. This is the um, the what was it before that? Champ Sports Bowl. So this is like a name bowl people know from you know it just changes sponsorships every like five to eight years. So that's like another reason I think that there's been like a little bit of downgrade in terms of like obviously there's excitement versus the Pinstripe Bowl, but like. I do honestly think people forget that this is a bowl that is like pretty high up on the bowl schedule every single year. It's one that you know. It's one that you, a couple years ago, it was like Clemson, Oklahoma, I think. Um, there are big matchups in this game. So this was a very good debt for Syracuse. And I am very happy, aside from the fact that flights to Orlando are extremely expensive. Yeah. I mean, that that's obviously very problematic for fans. Um, I know some of the, it seems like some of the Syracuse travel packages aren't exactly advantageous from a like price standpoint, but I haven't really looked into them myself. Uh, I won't be able to go this year, unfortunately. But uh, like one team we haven't brought up yet um, in terms of, you know, things related to this game is, is thanking Iowa State for not, uh, not, not tripping and falling against Drake, which they almost did, um, and, and solidifying the fact that they would be in the Alamo Bowl. Because if, if, if Iowa State had lost... It's sort of it's it would seem fairly likely that Alamo Bowl would not have been okay with passing up West Virginia. One would assume it doesn't mean that we wouldn't have faced um, Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl instead. But I'm sure having West Virginia there did help. Yeah, the, that that whole thing. I, I want to see someone report on how they made that choice because I would have thought obviously Iowa State's a little closer to the Alamo Bowl than West Virginia is, right. but. I think, I mean, it's, it seems pretty clear that West Virginia wanted the Alamo Bowl and their, their complaints, you know, how it affects us aside, like, you would think that the West Virginia contingent would have been, if not a little stronger, at least, like, more enthusiastic about going there. And it's not like they're super close to uh, Camping World either. They're, they're closer. But um, I do wonder, because, like, West Virginia seemed, like, pretty clearly a, a higher-level team than Iowa State this year, even though Iowa State's pretty good. But I, I do wonder how they came to that decision because it was um, very surprising because, like, up in, in the morning, Sunday morning, like, we all thought we were doing pinstripe. Yeah. And we all thought West Virginia was doing Camping World, or uh, doing Alamo. I, I think part of it's based on, you know, certain reporting opinions as facts and facts as opinions. And I, I think that there there was a, probably a decent... I think there was actually a, a decent lead that said that how that was going to shake out. And I, I do think that it was probably some arrangement with the Big 12, Camping World, and the Alamo Bowl to kind of make this thing work out for everybody. Um, something that is, I mean, when I was talking to Chris Carlson uh, from Syracuse.com a little bit, something that is in the contracts for a lot of these games is head-to-head as, as part of a long list of criteria. Um, and, and for those that forgot, Iowa State upset West Virginia earlier this year to give the uh, years their first loss of the season, 30-14, to 14, Iowa State won. So... If uh, if we were looking for one reason why uh, they might have been able to jump over him, it could have been that. That's a good point. I kind of forgot about that. Although, if you're looking for, like, oh, you can stop West Virginia's offense um, model, that Iowa State game was like a buzzsaw. Like, Will Breer couldn't do anything in that game, which was bizarre. Iowa State in general is, I, I really like them under Matt Campbell. They're, they're not, like, super fun necessarily. I think it's just that they're, they're unique. They, uh, they have a novelty factor to them. Obviously, 
Um, but they play sound defense. They run the ball well, um, and they seem to be able to do what ne- what's needed in the passing game um, to, to, to get wins. I Honestly, I'm much happier to be facing West Virginia than I am to be facing Iowa State. Um, and I'm sure other Syracuse fans will probably agree if they were paying attention to the Cyclones at all this year or last year. Yeah, I feel like last year was the fun, uh, the more fun Iowa State team, and they also came kind of out of nowhere. But this year, they like kind of. I feel like they they're a bit more um, fundamentally sound. Um, they're not that much better. Uh, they're just like they're more of like your standard good team. Versus last year, they really snug up on people. I think you know maybe next year is our 20, uh, 2018 Iowa State season. Although I, I do hope we we finish a little higher because they had a really weird start to the season. Yeah, they very much did. I would hope that, based on our schedule, that we don't have this similarly weird uh, start to the season. As we mentioned, Syracuse has a golden opportunity to finish really, really well yet again, be ranked once again. Um, So I'm excited about that. Um, One other game I wanted to talk about as we were talking football a little bit here, um, Tulane made a bowl. And Tulane will also be playing in Orlando. Um, So, Dan, I hope you found somewhere to stay for two weeks. (laughs) Because <laughs> uh, Tulane's facing UL Lafayette on December fifteenth. Flights down for the Tier Bowl are probably a lot cheaper than they are uh, the week at the week after Thanksgiving or at Christmas. Um, it's the same stadium. Yeah, <laughs> same stadium. Um, it's unfortunate that they couldn't just swap this and the uh, what's the uh, New Orleans Bowl this year? Uh, App State, Middle Tennessee. Like, mm. I get. I think. I think the the bowl tie-ins made that like kind of the auto bid for this for the uh, for App State, but like. It would have made a lot more sense for Tulane and Lafayette to be playing in New Orleans and uh, App State, Middle Tennessee to go down to Orlando. That being said, um, I do think it's an interesting matchup for Tulane. Louis Lafayette's always like fairly fun. Uh, I think they're, they're, this is, might be the name of the two best uses of logos. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would agree uh, with that. Wave, uh, wave Chappelle, uh, the fighting, <laughs> angry, probably inebriated wave uh, against the um, my one of my favorite uses of uh, punctuation ever, the apostrophe that's a red hot jalapeno pepper, um, or I think it's probably habanero, um, which is just great. The UL Lafayette pepper checks me every time. Uh, yeah, that should be fun. I mean, I, I love all these games. I always rail against everyone who's like, oh, there are too many bowls. There are not too many bowls because why wouldn't you want to watch like a random Sunbelt versus Tusa like 100 point game on a Tuesday night in the winter when you're not doing anything? Like, come on. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, all the bowls are fine. Shut up. And if, especially for the people that like, those are the ones that like when your team's like six and six and they're like, I don't care if we go to a bowl or not. Like, well, the players do, your fans do, um, your recruits definitely do. So why not? Why not, why not just take the trip? I mean, no, no you're not yeah. dying to go to St. Pete's or, or, or Fort Worth or Charlotte or Shreveport, Louisiana. But at the same time, like, you know, for some of these kids, it's the only chance they get to, to go to the postseason while they're in college. For others, maybe not. Nonetheless, you get the 15 extra practices. You get the national exposure. You get to tell recruits that you've been to the postseason, get the chance to play in a bowl. All the kids, even though, even though college athletes don't get paid, even though they should, um, they do get... This is the closest thing they get. Yeah. They get a trip and, like, a swag bag worth, like, $2,000. Yeah, which is, which is great. They get Xboxes and all kinds of other nonsense. So, like, th- this just seems to me like a, a, a perfect way to, like, let, let the kids enjoy it a little bit um, and, and, and let them, you know, get, get something out of this arrangement for once other than just, um, 
some school and, and, and some, some time on TV. I think it's, it's a no-brainer to, to just let kids play in the balls. And again, like, do, do you like football? Do you like seeing your team play football? Just accept the extra game. And if your team didn't make it this year, then hopefully they do next year. Yeah, I think the one thing I would change about would be maybe siphoning some of the bowls away from the Sun Belt and to some other more varied, maybe more interesting locations. Like, not that I don't, not I get like that's the heart of college football down there. I don't know that we need a bowl in Mobile and you know Birmingham and uh, Shreveport. Like, I think we could probably use more bowls in like I love the I know people complain about Winter Bowls. I know the Pinstripe Bowl. People complain about it, even though it's fun every single year, but. Like, the Wrigley Field Bowl, I thought was awesome. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. Like, just varying up the locales a bit um, and doing some different experiences. Just, like, right now, there's, like, this host of middling bowl games that are all, like, in the same area of the world. There's, like, 18 bowl games in Orlando. Um, so That's why I'm I fine with the be... Bahamas Bowl and stuff. Bahamas Bowl is so good. It's so fun every year. Uh, the first one was amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, stuff like that. Like, the... Uh, Even I... the Sun Bowl. I know we didn't really want to go to it this year because it's, like, a impossible for us to get to so now it'll be just be impossible for Pitt to get to um but the Sun Bowl it's like cool there's a bowl in El Paso I appreciate that because it's different it's like a unique city I yeah. put you know spread them out a little bit more like there, there there's a lot of there's a lot to like here I think Vegas will probably get an extra bowl with the new stadium Vegas will get a bowl um, I think the new LA stadium could potentially get a bowl they might actually move the holiday bowl there just because of this current state of things in San Diego um, Which is kind of a shame because I like the Holiday Bowl, but they're just everything's their best down there. We'll just move the Holiday Bowl to LA. It's basically the same thing. It's just it'll just be more traffic. <laughs> and really, anyone who I mean, it's it used to be what used to be Qualcomm and is now San Diego County Credit Union Stadium. Anyone who's ever gone in or out of that uh, stadium for a San Diego State or a uh, Chargers game, holy crap! Like it, it makes traffic in and out of any other stadium look great. You, you, you don't want the game to stay there, to be honest. The, the, the Holiday Bowl can move to L.A. And, and, and Inglewood. There's like 17 freeways that, that intersect right there. You'll be fine. Yeah, I bet we'll probably get like a Fenway Bowl at some point. Um, just as a pinstripe bowl, I think, has been like a pretty big success overall. Like, obviously, you know, attendance fluctuates. That's every bowl game. Like, if you look at the Tampa World attendances, it's some years it's 60,000, some years it's like 20,000. I don't think that's like the biggest deal, honestly. It's part of the part of the equation, but like, this is all TV revenue, and people are watching these games no matter what. Yeah, I, I think Boston, New York, Chicago are much better plays than like, you know, the the former San Francisco Bowl, now Red Box Bowl. When, when the well, game... that's, that's that's so far from everything. Well, well, originally when it was in AT and T Park, that where the Giants play, like, it was just bad. Like San Francisco doesn't have this like hub of like transplants the way that like LA and Chicago and New York do. Like, there's all... it might not have the right transplants. Either. Yeah, like, like it's, it's mostly it's, it's all tech, and not that there aren't like obviously I'm not done generalized. I know plenty of tech people who like college football. It's probably not the biggest correlation compared to like even like entertainment or it's you know anything else. I mean, it's a lot of Pac-12 folks, so like that's fine for one piece of the puzzle. But then like you're not, you're never gonna get enough Big Ten folks or any other school there. Um, and yeah, at a baseball stadium that like is notoriously cold during baseball season, like in the middle of summer and you're wearing two jackets, like I, I one would assume that showing up in December um, at a ballpark with an open back facing the bay um, is, is probably not going to be an enjoyable experience for anybody. Yeah. So overall, like we like the ball system. 
I think there are things you can do to fix it. I also don't think that expanding the playoff hurts it that much because you just integrate it in. Um, it, the only thing it does, it bumps probably bumps. Uh, at this point, it would bump like a couple more teams out, but you also probably just we're probably gonna have more bowls because there's always more bowls. There's one popping up in Myrtle Beach, which I am kind of a fan of because there isn't one there. There's not really the only bowl in the Carolinas is the Belt Bowl, so like throw one in Myrtle Beach, why not? Um, there's always expansion. And uh, the argument that the playoff hurts the bowl season, I think, is kind of ridiculous because it's just part of it now. Yeah, that's where shit. Everyone shut up. I think we're about at halftime, Dan. If you want to talk a little bit about uh, beer. Yeah. Um, so I've had a couple of new things. Uh, earlier I had, uh, I actually got to try the newest, or one of the newest Game of Thrones Gang beers, uh, the Mother of Dragons, which was a really interesting, kind of like a tart brown ale. I forget exactly how they described it. Um, it had an interesting... Uh, German name, I believe, in terms of like the style, um, but really nice, like uh, nice, like kind of fruity, but not overpowering flavor, and like dark, kind of had like a, a creek thing going on, um, kind of smoky, really interesting blend. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Um, they, they always do interesting stuff with those Game of Thrones steam beers. Uh, I had a a couple of Heaven Hell or Hoboken's from 902 Brewing, which is in Hoboken apparently. I had not heard of them before, but I was in Jersey City and saw them and had to try it, and it was a really solid IPA. Um, I would definitely drink it again. Uh, I had, I think, since uh, we last spoke, I had uh, some Zinger beer by Rushing Duck, um, which is a German sour, or not ginger, uh, a ginger sour, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, kind of has like a little bit of like a ginger beer f- uh, flavor, but not crazy, and then a sour finish. Um, really enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Uh, and I had uh, some Oktoberfest from Sierra Nevada. Uh, I had a Be Enlightened from Half Full in, in my hometown, which was a uh, beer made with uh, local uh, locally farmed honey, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, some some interesting stuff for sure. Nice. I, uh, I didn't have too much this past weekend. Um, got a six pack of uh, Stone's Tropic of Thunder. Their uh, their India Pale Lager, which is super good. Um, had City of the Sun IPA from Modern Times down in San Diego. Um, grabbed the shoots uh, Jubal Ale, their winter ale uh, that they produce every year, um, and also had uh, from Offshoot Beer, uh, which is under the brewery um, label, uh, Relax is just a hazy IPA, which is one of the kind of better regularly available hazy IPAs that you don't have to wait in line for or deal with any sort of release day hassle or anything. It's it's easily uh, discoverable in stores, so. He said nothing too crazy, but but a couple good things. Cool. I know this is this will should be with all the holidays. I'm sure there'll be a lot of releases. I saw someone had a Christmas ale out that I almost tried tonight, but I I will probably go back and get it at some point. I forget what it was, but I I always do enjoy like the the various winter uh, the warmers and and all of the other unique styles that we see now. Yeah, I know one of my favorites that doesn't get out here, um, Great Lakes. Is it their Christmas ale or is it? Yeah, I think it's their Christmas ale. It's super good. And then I know I always get a Sierra Nevada Celebration, their uh, like Christmas IPA that's super good. Yeah, Celebration's great. Um, I remember, I think the first time I had it, I bought a sits pack as a pretty naive, I think I was a senior at Syracuse, and decided I was going to drink that to pregame a football game. And uh, <laughs> guess what? That's way too heavy of beer to do that with. It is. <laughs> Even as tw- at 21. That is not what you want to pregame a football game with. Uh, that is where you stick to your uh, your more drinkable IPAs. But it's uh, very nice to have one or two of. 
Um, so I'll, I'll probably pick up a sister of that at some point. Celebration Street. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely have some soon myself. Uh, maybe even before Syracuse's next football game. Who knows? But redirecting a little bit, uh, Syracuse basketball has continued its season, and it's actually looking pretty good right now. Um, I mean, there, there are some thoughts, and we can, we can share those. But uh, Syracuse won three straight now. Uh, they've won two straight since we last spoke. They beat Ohio State on the road. Uh, a pretty nice win, and, and as I mentioned in a blog post last week, their first uh, road win against a ranked team uh, outside of ACC play since uh, 2008 against Memphis. Um, they beat the Buckeyes. Um, the, the Orange defense really deserves a ton of credit. I know that we shot better, but Orange defense deserves a ton of credit in that game in particular uh, for forcing bad shots and making a bad team take uh, a lot of terrible uh, opportunities, a lot of mid-range shots, a lot of bad threes. Um, it was nice to beat the Buckeyes. Uh, we then proceeded to get lit up for like three quarters of a game against Cornell, who just decided to get red hot from three. Um, and, and, and we know how that goes occasionally. But luckily, uh, Ty's battle kind of took over at the end and averted what would have been... I mean, this Cornell team's not terrible, but I would argue it would probably be one of the worst losses of the last like 10 to 15 years under Jim Beheim. Yeah, I mean, Matt Morgan, uh, their star guard, deserves a lot of credit. For once, it wasn't like the random guy off the bench to that lit us up. It was their best the player. Guy, yeah, the guy we knew um, was super good. <laughs> Yeah, the guy who we knew was super good, who they talked about every time he touched the ball, uh, was was good. Um, Jim Beheim uh, was probably uh, nodding in approval of his 40-minute, 26-point, 9-for-14 uh, stat line. Um, <laughs> kind of evocative of Tyus Battle of yesteryear. Tyus Battle was uh, really slacking in this game, only played 36 minutes. Um, but he was 10-for-17 for 26 points. Uh, knocked down three of, or four of six, three, uh, from three. Once again, I thought... Obviously, in the Ohio State game, like we shot super, super well. I think we were what, forty, like forty-eight percent from three. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. So that's not sustainable. But or no, we were forty-five. We were forty, just under forty-six percent from three, eleven for twenty-four. So that's not sustainable numbers-wise for this team. But none of the like that watching that game, it didn't look like we were just lighting the nets on fire. Like you know, sometimes a team that shoots above its head does. They were you know shots in rhythm. Uh, the ball movement was a lot better, even if. Frank Howard's numbers haven't been great so far this year since he came back. Like, the offense just runs a lot better with him. Um, but you saw, like, oh, this team can hit some shots. And then the Cornell game, I thought, while the, it was very ugly, I thought, like, we thought shot 38% from three. And honestly, if this team does that every game, shoots, like, 38%, like, it's going to win most of them. Because the defense is starting to come along. Um, they made big stops down the stretch when they needed to. Uh, they contained pretty much everyone else on that team except for Morgan. Jimmy Beheim was the second-leading scorer off the bench with nine points. Um, unfortunately, the offense, like Elijah Hughes, was terrible and just very, just didn't really look for a shot at all. He only took three shots total at four points. Um, it was basically all battle and Brissette. Uh, Howard still finding himself, did not shoot well, but still, I think there's a big difference with him on the court. So it was ugly for a lot of it. It would have been a pretty bad loss, but, you know, no one's going to remember the ugly eight point win over Cornell in a year. So I'm not super worried about it. The Ohio State win, I think, tells us a lot more. Um, so I think we're, we're getting on track. It's not there yet. We're not consistent enough on offense yet, but I think the defense has looked a lot better, and that's uh, very encouraging because the defense was very rough in the first week or two of the season. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. I think it, it's just, once again, very, very obvious just how much the Frank haters in, in recent years uh, oversold their position. And now, now we saw what this team looked like without him. Um, obviously, the first game is Easter Washington. Defense looked great. <laughs> Only let up 34 points, but... You know, in, in the next few games without him, allowed 
80, allowed 70, allowed 83, allowed 80. Frank comes back, and, and, and you see this defense really return to form. Um, and the offense is able to be a hell of a lot more efficient. Um, we're not scoring like in droves necessarily, but we, we do look a lot better. The ball is, is moving around more. We're still probably pretty low in the assist percentage um, conversation, but you know, look, I mean, look at the difference in, in Ty's battles game um, between the early part of the season and you know the last three in particular. Combined for 70 points in the last three games, he's been incredibly efficient. Um, just played better on both ends of the floor. He's been very clutch. I mean, you don't win that game against Cornell without battle uh, just because of how poorly everyone else was shooting. But, like, Frank's presence alone on the floor just makes him such a better player. Um, and, and he's starting to do, you know, a bu- he's not he's, he's playing clutch basketball, but he's not playing hero ball, and he's doing a lot of those things in the margins that I think we didn't see in the, the first few games. Um, and, and NBA scouts probably had some thoughts for him going into the draft process last year that he needed to correct, and I think he's actually done a great job of addressing them, and a lot of players don't necessarily do that um, when they come back um, after testing those waters. Yeah, Battle has just been, like, an, like obviously we noted pretty well how his struggles early on. Um, in the three Frank games, he is uh, 24 for 36 from the field, uh, or 37, I think, from the field. Uh, he is 8 for 11 from three. Um his free throws have actually been like a little bit underwhelming, but I'm not worried about that. Uh, but overall, like he's just been super efficient. He's taking good shots. He's hitting a lot of huge shots. Like he had that one off balance shot from the corner that basically like kind of read to the ship for us in the end of the Tornell game um, when they were going on that late run. Uh, so I think I tweeted like it, it's a little like the the only bad part of Tyus like hitting all these big shots at the, is that they're big shots in November and early December, which is not usually what we have to rely on. But you'll take it. So. I think we are starting to the battle that we thought we were going to uh, get with his return here, where, like, obviously he's going to play a lot of minutes and he's going to take a lot of shots, but there's there's going to be an increase in efficiency and uh, less of a reliance on him. And obviously in the Tornell game, that wasn't really the case because Hughes kind of disappeared and uh, Howard's still working his way back and, and Jalen Terry's still, like, kind of a work in progress in these big spots. But overall, like, the Ohio State game, I thought, was a, a better representation of hopefully what we'll see going forward, where uh, he was at 18 points and looked really good. You know, Marex had probably his biggest impact so far. Hit some, uh, I think he hit, he hit two threes in that game, which was jarring um, and exciting. Uh, his range has and, extended a ton, which is a really, really, really good sign for this team going forward. Yeah, and he doesn't need to be Laurie Markinen. Like, he doesn't have to, like, hit 40% or anything. But the fact that you have to dart him out there, and he's such a good passer, really opens things up. Um, and then when we play zones, when we play Duke later in the year, when we play a couple of these other teams that try to zone us, like, I'm super, and we saw it a little last year, um, I'm really excited to see what Marek can do from the inside of the zone, um, because he is, he, I mean, it's the perfect, he has the perfect tool set if he, if he's just aggressive enough with it. He is one of the better passers on the team, and he has a really soft mid-range jumper that he can knock down, so um, he hasn't really exploded yet, uh, but I think he's starting to come along, so... Um, there's a good chance that this team has just like taken a little bit longer to mesh than we thought because uh, considering we brought everyone back, but um, with the Howard injury uh, coming at the point guard position, like it makes some sense. So, you know, I think we, we have done a long way towards dwelling some of the concerns while not just going all the way and saying, Oh, Syracuse is back, baby. We're, you know, going to run to the title. Um, we're like on the fringes of the top 25 again. I think we'll probably get back in by, you know, next week or two. And then hopefully we come out strong in the early ACC play. We can, you know, make this less of a dramatic uh, signing, uh, not signing day, selection Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm really hoping for that. That would be awesome. Um, 
on, on, on the way to that, I guess first we need to beat a few more teams at least. Uh, we'll get to Buffalo at some point in the near future, uh, but the next two opponents, uh, one of them, you'll probably the game will probably be done already by the time you listen to this, um, depending on how editing goes. But uh, Northeastern, not a pushover by any means. They'll be in the dome on Tuesday. They're four and four on the season. Uh, they stomped Bucknell. They stomped Eastern Michigan. Uh, they actually beat Alabama by a pretty good amount, uh, 68-52 um, earlier this season, and they beat Harvard by 10. They've also dropped a weird game to BU, um, lost to Virginia Tech, which is totally understandable, and then dropped two games to Davidson. I'm not sure why they faced them twice in a row. But anyway, um, yeah, so this is an interesting team. It's one that can score um, and does score. Again, far from a pushover by any means. I think in general, like, they're another team that can shoot fairly well from three. Um, which should worry us to, to some extent, if only because we saw what Cornell could do with, I, I think, maybe less three-point proficiency as a group. Um, still, they're, they're probably like a one- or two-man team. Um, Jordan Rowland and uh, Fasa Pusica, the, the, the two of them are uh, are going to be your leading scorers for Northeastern. I think we can handle them um, because we should have a clear advantage on the boards, hopefully. Um, I think we're probably a better defensive team by a significant amount. It's really just going to be, once again, depending on if we can shoot, you know, over 40% from the floor, I, I think that goes a long way toward, toward beating a what should be a tough but but very beatable Northeastern team. I certainly hope it's a beatable Northeastern team. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, Dan, I, already expl- I explained why they might not be as bad as 4-4 four and four would indicate. I understand, but it is still Northeastern. Although I did I not notice that Northeastern got a new logo. They kind of went like I, I saw that. Not total, not total Yukon, like angry Husky direction, but more of like a regal Husky. You know, uh, regal gonna give you a stern talking to Husky. Um, I really like the end. Let's go back to that. But what was that? The end that they used to have. That was just like that, oh, like that weird, that like yeah, that collegiate, like black and red end. That was fine. Yeah, it was like we ripped off Nebraska and then changed to like one thing. Yeah. I, I, I'm okay with the Husky. It's, you know, a little derivative, I think. But what are you going to do? These, this is where we, we learn our, our favorite pastime of uh, breaking down the, the mascots and logos of, of undercovered teams. Um, and then we have Georgetown on Saturday. Sneaking yeah, I was, uh, was going to get to that. I figured let's, uh, let's talk very briefly about Northeastern, and then we would get to Georgetown. So Northeastern's mascot's name is Paws, which I approve. Do they make any? They have to have like a million like pause puns whenever like they have a like a like at every charity is like a cross for pause, right? Like, yeah, I I would assume so. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, what are we doing here? He was introduced in fall two thousand three. He replaced Mister and Missus Husky. To oh, see... that's super lazy. Pause, yeah. Pause all day. Yeah. Pause all day. Pause is actually really cool looking if you, if you if you're looking at him. And, it, and he also has the old N logo. He's uh, a more athletic oh, and brand, charismatic mascot. The, brand is, the tongue. I, I appreciate the tongue. He, this they, is a. They have a live mascot too, King Husky the Eighth. This is much better than Jonathan. F off, you can. King Husky looks pretty awesome. There is like a royal family of huskies. This is this is aggressive. <laughs> they have very uh, Boston. Like are these like the non-separatist like Boston families that kept Northeastern alive. This is insane. They had King Husky the first. Is 1927-1941, then Queen Husky in 1941, um, after King Husky died. <laughs> then King Husky II took over for Queen Husky since she was since King Husky II was uh, King Husky I's son. 
King Husky the Third took over until 1955. <laughs> then uh, Princess Regent Husky uh, was the uh, the temporary mascot as the daughter of uh, of King Husky the Third. Then King Husky the Fourth. Um, then they decided to rename the, the <laughs> rename the thing briefly and got away from the king queen uh, dynamic with Aliska Sugin. Was there was there like a, a, a French Revolution style takeover? And there was a coup and. Uh, <laughs> the uh, King Husky V took over. Queen Husky II then uh, took over for King Husky V after his death. Um, then King Husky VI, King Husky VII. Then they stopped having a goddamn Vlad mascot from 89 to 2004. And then King Husky VIII has been at this for like 14 years. Oh, man. Jeez. There has to be... Is, is the ninth already born? Like, do they are they actually keeping this in the family? Because that's some serious dedication. Usually, it's just like another like all the all the uggas aren't related. This is dope, honestly. Like, this is the one. This is like I mean, there's a lot of places where Syracuse's athletic brand goes wrong. Um, as much as I love the orange, however, I, like I think we should actually bring out an orange and we keep the same orange until it like actually rot. becomes fully rot, and then we have Otto the second, and then it just goes on. So like after like what one year, there'll be like. We've we've gone through like ninety live mascots. <laughs> I just yeah, th- th- this is where we're having this is where having like a fruit or a color um, as a mascot like it removes you from the, the pageantry of of like dog royalty and like g- goofy nonsense that only happens in college football. I think we should bring out the auto the live orange um, on like a, a very fancy royal pillow and like someone has the task of bringing him out to the field every game. We put a crown on him. Yes. That's... Kind of like the uh, Citrus Bowl. Bat- what, what mascot is that? Is that the uh, Orange Bowl mascot? Yeah, Obi. Yes. Yeah, Orange Bowl. And then some people actually claim that Obi's a better version of Otto, which is false. Oh, that's false. Otto has so much more character. Oh, Obi, wow. I'm okay with Obi being around. I'm okay having a weird second Orange mascot that people like. But he's only around once a year. He's only around once a year, plus when, uh, who have, who is him as his avatar? Um, one of the Matt Browns? Yes. Matt Hinton, maybe one of the eligible. Ones. Yeah, I think Matt Hinton. Matt Hinton, yeah, um, has him has his mascot, which you know it's fine. Yeah, go, go, go for it. It's still not Otto. Uh, no. Anyway, that that was our uh, brief foray into northeastern uh, athletic culture. Mascot lineage. Yes, we, we we now move on to Georgetown, um, who has a trash dog as a mascot, unlike northeastern, which has a regal dog as a mascot. Um, Georgetown lost. Georgetown has like what the like eighth best bulldog live bulldog mascot at best. Um, yeah, I mean like he's no blue, he's no Aga. Aga's the best. The Aga is every college ball fan except that he has to come to the stadium. Yale has a better mascot. There's a lot better mascots than Georgetown's bulldog. Um, Georgetown has once again faced no one, beat no one. Um, Richmond. Just like step up from last year when they were playing like NIA D three teams. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, their best wins probably Richmond. Uh, no, no, wait, they beat Illinois. They beat Illinois 88 to 80. They also lost to LMU. Top 10 net team LMU. My they name. were, are they still? Um, I don't know if they've released another one. They might be like tweaking the formula. <laughs> they, they put out one recently because we moved from like 118 to like 45 or something. Uh, back in the lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that they're, 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 I think they actually update it every day. I don't know if they would do a release every day, yeah. but they update it like every day, but then they don't like tell you what it is. So it's yeah. just, yeah. So we are now, 
45th. We were 44th for a time, but that was two on brand. So we, bumped, we moved down the spot. Uh, Georgetown is not coming up when I search. Oh, 87th. <laughs> Dad um, and I found 404. <laughs> uh, Georgetown basketball? Loyola, Did you mean trash fire? Loyola, which was 10th, like, what, a week ago? Yeah. Uh, is now 57th. So uh, this is the most reactive, <laughs> oh, good. hilariously reactive. Ohio State, I don't even see... Ohio State is down to 20th after being number one, and they've Christ. only lost one game. Virginia ah, is your new number one. Number, yeah, so you know, the top 10 actually looks like reasonable now. Nebraska is a little weird, although I know they are ranked and they're pretty good. Um, they're top 10 now as of the latest release, which was yesterday. Uh, UVA, Gonzaga, Michigan, Duke, Texas Tech, Wisconsin, Auburn, Michigan State, Nebraska, Nevada. All right. That's not terrible. No, that, that's, that's not terrible. I'll take that. I guess. Buffalo's number 13. So. Reasonable. They're good, but. We'll see. I don't see. know if they're number 13 in the country. Yeah, maybe not. But yeah, I mean, Georgetown's not really registering for them, so that means the system works, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, Georgetown, um, some of the same faces that annoyed us last year. Jesse Gavan is, uh, is once again very good, um, at least for Georgetown. He, uh, he's going to give us some fits. Having a, a, a bigger guy on the inside like that who can also shoot from outside is probably going to extend um, Barama Sadibi and uh, Pascal Chuku better or just more than they're used to. Um, foul trouble is going to be a big, big concern in this one. I think we are a better team than the Hoyas, but Georgetown also can score points, and that's always problematic for this recent iteration of the Irons that for some reason cannot. Yeah, Govan's really good. He's been a problem for us for a couple of years now. Um, I will say I'm not as concerned uh, in terms of their play style. They shoot 33% from three, but they don't shoot that many as far as I can tell. Um, they only have, uh, what, four guys that have shot at least 19. Govan is at that 19 mark. Um, two of their top four scorers don't shoot threes really at all. Um, so it's not like a huge uh, shooting team. They do have inside uh, presence which can be troublesome depending on how chuku's playing um but like overall this team is going to kind of attack you near the basket and i think i'll rather take my chances with that yeah i i think that's fair the, the only place that it becomes a problem with the syracuse team is if govan understands that chuku and Sidibe have no idea how to play without drawing fouls um or if we have that ohio state ref team yeah, or yeah, you know, or, or we get that refereeing crew, and then it's a nightmare. Which really united, like united the factions of the Syracuse fan base under the <laughs> banner of "screw these refs, this is the worst thing we've ever seen." <laughs> yeah, that 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 put the 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 old Ohio State uh, referee job to shame somehow. Um, I think we could, end, I mean, I don't think we will end up with the same group, but we could conceivably because I think isn't like the Big East, Big Ten, ACC, and like A10 all under the same referee like crew now. Um, I know they share some. Uh, I know there are like some leagues that won't take certain ones. Cause, uh, didn't um, what's his name? Ted Valentine got bumped out from the Big Ten this year. Okay. Um, they basically decided he was like not worth the trouble. Um, so I know they share a bunch. I don't know like how often like full crews like that move together. Well, let's hope never in this case, because that game was that. that game was hideous. It was a legit travesty, especially for a game that we won by ten points. Like horrendous. Yeah, it was it was it, weird that we haven't spoken since that game aired because it feels like it was a while ago now. Um, literally, like a game where we won by ten, we probably should have won by twenty, and it felt like we lost <laughs> because of how <laughs> awful 
the refereeing was. Um, but our team, you know, credit their resiliency because, uh, like, it would have been it wouldn't have been that hard to imagine that team just being like, all right, they'd be packing it in because this is absurd. And they didn't. They came out and they made huge shots at the end. and They won. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen with the Georgetown game because um, I could see Jesse Govan, you know, shooting twenty foul shots himself, and I, that wouldn't be fun. I just don't want this game going down to the wire again for like the fourth straight year. Yeah, no, he's only averaging five foul shots a game, so that's actually a pretty good sign. He doesn't draw that many. I mean, w- we might change that story for him, but I hope we don't. We um, should. Again, please no. Uh, all right, before we leave. Dan, what is your prediction for this game against uh, against a team without a fan base? Are we talking Northeastern or Georgetown? Uh, Georgetown. Legit question with your how you presented it. Northeastern uh, has fans based on the fact that they have a, a a husky lineage that somebody maintains. That's true. Someone someone demanded that to come back. Like they they were. I mean, I I don't think there were like no one shouting into the void when you have a a fourteen year gap or whatever it was between Royal Huskies. Um, <laughs> For the Georgetown game, um, I am going to go... You know, I'll be optimistic because it's worked out fairly well for me recently. I'm going to go 72-57. All right. I I think Georgetown can score more than that, even against us. Um, Again, the offenses look pretty good this year. I think in terms of overall rankings... They're averaging 78.9 points per game, which is pretty good. ESPN decided that it's not going to tell me what that ranks in terms of the overall national picture. That's fine. Um, I'm going to go Syracuse wins 76 to 71, and it's going to be much closer than we want it to be. We're still going to win. Fair enough. I'm not that concerned because they lost to Loyola Marymount, and I know they are a one-time top 10 team, but they lost to Loyola Marymount by 13, and they only scored 52. Um, they uh, didn't exactly light Central Connecticut on fire. They struggled to beat South Florida in overtime. They beat Richmond by 8. They beat Liberty by 10. Like, these are not... Like, they beat Campbell by 8. So, um, I do think their scoring is could be a, a you know, benefited by the fact that they are playing pretty mediocre teams and they're still not blowing them out so I, I feel pretty good about it but uh it's also georgetown and even the most mediocre georgetown teams for whatever reason give us trouble so yeah i don't really understand it uh luckily this time around uh georgetown did not get any votes in either poll which uh <laughs> the, the plan didn't work the plan didn't work last year it did they were actually getting votes uh because for some reason people forgot that if you only play d3 teams those wins don't count yeah as much as we complain about like, the college football voting um Occasionally, like college basketball is is worse. There are people there are people that vote for this thing that just clearly don't know what's happening in the sport. No, not not a thing. Although, props to Furman, the Paladins, for, uh, for yeah, getting themselves in the top twenty-five. I think this is their first trip ever. And uh, yeah, I thought I saw that, and they they've had some like okay teams, but I did I believe you're correct that this is their first ever trip to the top twenty-five. We've played them like pretty recently, right? Uh, probably. I mean, it's not really that hard for a team in the SoCon to like get into this thing so, yeah i mean they haven't really played it but they beat villanova which is 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 a win they beat loyal chicago true um the, they the, beat, the blog, blog blog favorite loyal chicago uh ramblers yeah now they have three overtime wins one villanova uh gardner webb and double overtime against western carolina um so like i don't know how long Furman is for the top 25 here but they're you know um good for them like you know, it's cool. It's always a cool story when a team like that rises up. We saw it with Loyola last year, who we were very early on the bandwagon for. Super early. Um, 
Yeah. Like, I think we talked about them in, like, December last year. Like, oh, they're fun. Uh, let's kind of half-follow them for the year. And it worked out. Um, I don't know that we're totally ready to adopt Furman, but we'll see. We might have to do that in a, one of, maybe next week when we have, like, dead smack in the middle of, you know, bowl layoff for football. Yeah, I, I think next week we might have to pick, like, our— Because we were one for three on the— yeah. Um, no, actually, no, two for three, because didn't LIU Brooklyn, like, either make or almost make the NCAAs? They're, they usually almost make the NCAAs. Yeah, I don't know how right. they did last year. I don't think they made it. Oh, maybe they did. They, they might have come close. But, yeah, we, we, we were we were very early in on, on Loyal Chicago. I think we picked them, like, right after they upset Florida. And we, we, we were ready to go there. Um, for reference, and— LIU— uh, Did not? What did they do? Oh, they won the tournament. Yeah, they, they, snuck, they snuck a bit. Ah, seven, but they won the they won the NEC tournament. Two or three for us, because we picked some like West. We picked a West Coast team that was bad. Yeah, I forget which one. One of the Cal States, maybe. Yeah, I think it was. Uh... Ah, shit. I'll I'll look it up. But yeah, I, I think we picked one of the Cal States. Um, for further reference, we're not gonna pick Furman just because I feel like everyone's already in on Furman. They're a top twenty-five team now. Um, we last faced Furman in the NCAA tournament in nineteen seventy-three. And we won eighty three to eighty two. For some reason, I thought we had played them in like our non conference, like while I was there. But I guess I'm wrong. I mean, Orange Hoop says it's so, and I, I don't want to doubt Ray because I, I don't think he's ever steered me wrong on that side. No, he's he's spot on, so I believe him implicitly. Yeah. yeah. So so Dan, bring your bring your nominees for uh for for Tulane of the basketball uh, season for next yeah, week. Yeah, well, we did pretty much exclusively low majors, right? Uh, yes. So like. Anything like you couldn't pick from like the top ten conferences or so. Okay, yeah, I, I will. I will do my research. My although a lot of this is just based on like mascot and like <laughs> almost fun, entirely fun mascot. It's almost entirely based on that. Like the, the the Rambler and the Cool Dog were like a most of the reason we picked UC Chicago <laughs> or uh, uh, Loyola Chicago. Um, I think we might have to pick uh, UDM just for Devo being there. Um, I have to pick Northeastern just for the fact that they have a, a lineage of. Uh... Of husky dogs that go back to like the forties. Um, let's let's see. Let's make sure they don't annoy us on the tour first. That's fair. If they beat us, then we can't pick them. If they beat us, or like they're just fouling the hell out of us, or whatever, we can't pick them. But we'll we'll, we'll they have a shot. Like the, the the game doesn't preclude them from being a choice. They're in the running. Yes. Anyway, uh, Dan, anything else uh, before we log off today? No, very happy with uh, how the bowl went out worked out. I was I was like mentally prepping myself for being like, oh, the Pinterest Bowl won't be that bad. Hopefully, we get like Michigan State. It's a name opponent. I'll get to go to the game pretty easily and host a party before or something. But good for the program to go to the Camping World Bowl. A definite win. We get our rightful place as the number two ACC team. So hopefully, you know, I'll see if I can make it down there. It's iffy with the flights, but I will try. Um, and if not, hopefully a lot of people are there in our place and uh, root on the orange and have a good showing and make it look like we're a team that is worth picking for these mid-bowl games because hopefully this will be a thing that we have a lot of opportunity to do. Agreed, agreed. Uh, <laughs> this has been a fun episode as always. So Dan, thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, as always. Thank you. Of course. Uh, so that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you listen to us on. And uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, 
Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.